Dreamers for another serving of the Dole Whip and Dreams podcast. As always, I'm your host, Maddie Limerick, and today we hit the high seas as we take a deep dive into David Jones' locker with Ash Blodgett from the Let's Rewatch podcast to discuss the Pirates of the Caribbean and the Curse of the Black Pearl. Unlike most Disney movies that begin with a classic book or stories as source material, this movie begins as a theme park attraction that quickly became a fan favorite on both coasts. This is going to be a quick and dirty history, because this franchise could be the center of its own podcast series with multiple seasons. So I encourage you, after today's episode, to dig deep and find more info on this movie series and the ride. The attraction that has a version of itself in four of the five international theme parks tell the story of a band of pirates in the West Indies around the Caribbean Sea in the 18th and 17th centuries. It was developed after the success of the water ride, It's a Small World After All, the World's Fair, and opened at Disneyland in 1967, and was an opening day hit at Walt Disney World in 1971. In the early 1990s, screenwriter Ted Elliott and Ted Rossio began to develop a supernatural spin on the classic pirate genre, and in 2001, Disney hired Jage Walpert to write a script based on the ride. This original script featured a jail guard named Will Turner who frees a devilish pirate named Jack Sparrow to save Elizabeth Swan from the evil Captain Blackheart who is holding her for ransom. As Disney was developing their explosion of straight-to-video films in the early 2000s, they weren't sure if this was going to be a feature release or a direct-to-video. But 2002 would see also an explosion in the process of this film development. Now, Stuart Beatty was brought in to rework that original script because of his deep knowledge of piracy and pirate lore, and Dick Cook convinced Jerry Brockheimer to join the project as a producer. Brockheimer rejected that original script because it was just a straight pirate story, but Elliot and Rocio come back and they bring in that original idea to develop supernatural elements, laying out the film's plot in that opening narration. Now, in May of that year, Gore Verbinski was convinced to direct this film. He had a deep love of the classic genre, as well as childhood memories of the Disneyland ride. Now, he wanted to use modern technology to resurrect the pirate genre that died away with the golden age of Hollywood. 2002 would also see the film adaptation of The Country Bears, based on The Country Bear Jamboree, which absolutely failed at the box office, and Eisner got scared, as he often did, and he tried to shut down development of pirates. I also want to bring up that this was May of 2002. Curse of the Black Pearl was released summer of 2003. I'm going to bring this up with Ash quite a bit, but I marvel at this movie as they were able to put together such a giant film that required so much post-production in, like, a year to its release. Now... Verbinski wasn't shaken by Eisner, and I think that's what benefited this movie. The people that were making it weren't afraid of Michael Eisner or Disney as a company. And Verbinski continued to have his concept artist working on this film. And so when Eisner happened to drop by for a visit, he, he marveled at what had been done, and he let the film move forward. Though, I will say, according to the book Disney Wars, Eisner often asked, why does it have to cost so much? And Brockheimer replied, Well, your competition is spending $150 million. 
So Eisner relented, but he would continue to ask this question throughout production to its release. And he did have the request that several scenes that were more directly referencing the ride, like Jack and Will entering a cave through a waterfall, be removed. Now, Brockheimer was ref referring to Lord of the Rings and the Matrix trilogies that were in production and release at this time when he was referencing the $150 million. So the stakes were so high for Disney because if you look at the films of this time, they were coming out of the Disney Renaissance and nothing they were producing was living up to the expectations of fans, the industry, or its critics. It's actually really difficult to find a lot of stories about casting for anyone but Jack Sparrow, so let's tell that story. Casting for these characters is something full of lots of famous names that I can't imagine had actually would have made this film. When it was still the battle between a cinema release and a straight-to-video release, the film would be led by Matthew McConaughey, because Disney at this time wanted Sparrow to have a Burt Lancaster vibe, so cowboy pirate? But in the straight-to-video release, Sparrow would either be played by Christopher Walken or Carrie Elways. Now, I think we got a taste of Christopher Walken in the catastrophic Peter Pan Live, but Carrie Elways, who is the dreaded Pirate Roberts, now that's a Jack Sparrow that I lovingly would have loved to have seen, though Elways, in many ways, is like the character of Norrington, who would come in in later films. But as feature release moved forward, Jim Carrey was actually the first signed to play Jack Sparrow, but due to conflicts with Bruce Almighty, he had to leave the picture, and I have to say, I'm kind of happy about that as well. Overall, it was very important to Bervinsky that the film not feel like a romanticized version of the period or genre, but he wanted a raw historical fantasy. The filmmakers chose St. Vincent as their primary shoot location because they wanted to have to remove as little of modern society as they had to in the large rolling shots. Nina Jacobs talks about this a lot, uh, and everyone should look up her career because she was one of the forces that made this movie happen. Now, they built three ships in a variety of ways, from barges to piers and stagnant in, in studios, in order to make the large-scale battles and scenes possible. Now, principal photography began in October and ended, uh, oh, so that's October of 2002, and ended in March of 2003, only months before its film release. So we think of the post-production that was done between March and literally the week before this was released in June, July, like... Y'all, this movie would be the first under the Walt Disney Pictures banner that would have a PG-13 rating. Executives were worried that it would be too intense to be consumed by all ages of families, citing that five-year-olds would want to see this, but the studio felt confident enough that they added subtitle of Curse of the Black Pearl, so they would begin work on a second script and begin a franchise. Now, the Pirates genre had seen flop after flop over the years, and this would be the first film in decades to be successful within the genre, with everything set against them to fail, including Depp, who was mainly known for cult classics and had very little track record as a box office hit leading man. But it would open at number one on its opening weekend and stay there for quite some time, making $6,630,690 in their first weekend with just over 50.64 million worldwide for its run. Now, according to Rotten Tomatoes, the film sits at 79% on 
with 219 reviews, with an average rating of 7.11 out of 10, which honestly does surprise me. With a critical consensus that chalks up to, it may leave you exhausted like the theme park ride that inspires it, however, you'll have a good time when it's over. With Roger Ebert saying, it can only be said that Depp's performance is original in its every atom. There's never been a pirate, or for that matter, a human being like this in any other movie. His behavior shows a lifetime of rehearsal. Knowing what we know about him now, I don't know if I'd want to know him in real life. But again, I'm surprised that this wasn't as well received because I remember sitting in the theater. It was one of the first movies I saw alone. And it was, I was blown away. It was brilliant. Now, we'll be right back after this. We've made difficult decisions. And there are still more ahead of us. Two people aren't enough to save the galaxy. We need the toughest. Smartest. Deadliest allies. We need you. We need you to join us. And listen to Reignite. A certain point of view podcast about storytelling. Love. And Mass Effect. Join us every other Thursday as we fight for the fate of an entire galaxy. You can find us everywhere you get your podcasts. Or at certainpov.com slash reignite. We're counting on you. We should go. Welcome back, Trip. Sorry, I got a little uh, carried away. Welcome back, dreamers. I have another host from one of our amazing shows on the Certain Point of View Network uh, from Let's Rewatch. I have Ash Blodgett with me today. Ash, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So excited. Of course. I have been a huge fan of Let's Rewatch since way before you all were on the network. And I've been, and it was the weird, it was the funniest thing because like I got Pat on because Case was like, you and Pat have to meet because you're both Disney dads. Just in different ways. Mm -hmm. And so, (laughs) um, and so, uh, but it was funny because I was like, I need to get everyone else on the show now. And then you all joined the network with me. And I was like, yeah, Yeah. we can get them on the show now. So I'm so excited you're here. So why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself and kind of if Disney has played a role in your life at all as as an artist, a filmmaker, a podcaster? Yeah. So um, I am a, I'm a filmmaker, a YouTuber podcaster um and i definitely think like disney specifically and i'm gonna include i think it's fair to include it because it's part of disney now but star wars was like a huge influence for me growing Mm -hmm. up as a as Mm -hmm. someone who wanted to be a filmmaker you know like i just remember watching my dad loves star wars so he like sat me down early and was like okay Mm -hmm. here's you know here's all of them and uh and i just remember it being like a huge influence on me uh, and like just just wanting to know more about storytelling and and wanting to know more about the behind the scenes and, and how these things are made. Um, and then I think like Disney in general, I mean, like I was a 90s kid, so mm-hmm. perfect age growing up with all the animated films and whatnot, like definitely watched all of those. And I don't, I guess again, it's technically Disney, uh, but, um, the Muppets were a huge influence too. Like all the Muppet movies. So Mm -hmm. good. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's weird, all the things that, like, tangentially always felt like this should be Disney or partnered with Disney at one point, but, like, are now officially Disney. Um, and I was literally, this is my second episode of the day, and I screamed about Muppets. On my, <laughs> <laughs> about Jeffrey Katz, or um, uh, Michael Eisner ruining the, the chance of an earlier Muppets uh, collab with, oh, with Disney. But, uh, yeah, we're, oh, yeah, we're here. Oh, yeah, it was a whole thing. But, oddly enough, Muppets Connect, because we have Muppets Treasure Island, And now we are at another Disney property that started in the parks, and here we are. So, Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl. First movie. Uh, I have vivid memories of this movie, Um, mainly because it came out the same summer as Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. So, like, that summer was, like, movie summer for me. Uh, So, I had you pitch a couple movies to me, and this was one that I got really excited about. Why Pirates? Um, So I chose Pirates of the Caribbean because it's my favorite ride at Disneyland. And Mm -hmm. I also really like the movie. So I thought that was a great, um, great uh, companion together. And I believe that it's like the first DVD that I ever owned was Pirates of the Caribbean. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm, I'm a comedy filmmaker. I, I mainly love making comedy films. And what I really liked about the Pirates of the Caribbean movie when I first saw it, and I think that's why I still gravitated towards it is because it's such a great blend of comedy and -hmm. adventure. Like Mm -hmm. it's definitely at its heart, an adventure movie, action adventure, but it still has Like, I feel like it was one of the first times, I mean, obviously there's like Die Hard and whatnot, Mm -hmm. but I feel like Pirates of the Caribbean really heavily pulled in the comedy vibe and that wasn't super popular Mm -hmm. until they did it. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's so like, it's because they do this amazing thing, which only really intelligent scriptwriters do where, um, it's, you develop so much tension for the audience and they have to release and they're Mm -hmm. going to, they're going to laugh. Because for most humans, it's 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 a natural kind of decompress. We'll giggle, we'll laugh anyway. So if they give us the joke that feels intrinsically built into the script and is part mm-hmm. of the universe, we're going to laugh and unclench and we're going to breathe out. Because um, there's this beautiful thing that happens in movie theaters and in live theater where the audience's heartbeats and breath syncs up together. And so it's oh. one of those things that if the audience is wow. holding their breath together... And you don't let, if you don't tell them it's okay to release, they're not going mm-hmm. to. And so I, I found this that I still giggle at a lot of the same things that I giggled with sitting in the movie theater oh, in 2003. Yeah. Like it is, this was, this was such an interesting year because like I graduated from high school and this was so. Uh, Return of the King came out in d- November, December. This came out June, July, uh, within a week or two of Prisoner of Azkaban. So these are three kind of prolific movies that are all really exist in the same kind of genre of film. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things that I think Pirates accomplishes a lot that the other two didn't, but also just because they're also three different kinds of films within the same genre. So it's this idea of combining comedy with the action is really successful because it's something that only I see successfully done with like um, in large films, like when Simon Pegg does a movie like Shaun of the Dead or those kinds of movies, they are hot fuzz. It's one of those that it's they're heavy action, but they're also funny. But this really but this leans into that traditional 
adventure action genre and also makes it a comedy. And I think it's something so interesting, but it's because I think there's so many moments in the ride that you giggle, you want to laugh. It is, it is such an enjoyable ride that they did this great thing where, um, cause the first, uh, episode we ever did was Haunted Mansion with Eddie Murphy, where they oh. shoe, they shoehorn in the the humor or like the quotes from oh, the ride, and it yeah. doesn't work. Where with this, they'll say a thing from the ride, and you're like, "Ooh, they said the thing!" Ooh, they're letting mm-hmm. this. The ride is so rich and so wonderful, and holds up so well over time that they let the ride tell them things about the world and then they broaden the world around it. They, they created the other side. So I agree with you that there is so much to talk about with this movie and so much, so many good things. Like I always, uh, it's like you guys say on let's rewatch that you don't, intentionally look to find bad things about movies so you're not looking to find bad movies but this is one of those we only started that when pat joined <laughs> we had to remind him recently we're like well pat actually before you were around uh we were pretty hard on them <laughs> <laughs> um but you know it's it's one of those things that i enjoy this movie so much from top to toe and it's one mm-hmm. that there's there's so much there's so much good things to talk about so Let's jump in. Um, This is by far the most successful of any attraction-based film franchise that Disney has done. Mm -hmm. Um, Because before this, there was Haunted Mansion. There was The Country Bears Jamboree. There was Mission to Mars. There was um, Tower of Terror for Disney Channel. And none of them really stacked up. And I think it's because... They were thinking too small. They didn't have the right people to work with in the genre. But this, when you combine the idea of Disney and what Disney does with the idea of what Jerry Brockheimer does as a direct, as a producer, it's this Mm. giant thing. And I think they did it so well. And I love that you love it at Disneyland because I went to Disneyland for the first time last March and I'd never been before. Oh, um, I have wow. worked in the Florida parks. I'm an East coast kid. So I'd only been to Florida and the haunted or, um, Pirates of the Caribbean was the first thing I went for early morning magic. It was the first ride I got on. And mm. I went like, you go through the little bio and then, and then you do yes. the first drop and then you do the second drop. And I was like, Oh, this is different. And then you go through oh. all you go through all the dioramas. And at one point, I went. Nobody warned me. This is a fourteen minute ride, um, but I got <laughs> so much more of an appreciation for the world that the that the movie is based on from that ride. Oh, yeah. So, any of our listeners that don't know, um, we have kind of a truncated version of Pirates the ride at Walt Disney World. And it's changed a lot because they've added more of the movie aspects into ours than they have to the Disneyland ride. Um, so I highly encourage everyone, I'll probably post it on our Facebook, a full ride through of the, the Disneyland one because you don't get it from being in there, but it is just very different and they kind of create a world that we're going into. Yeah. Um, because something that's also- They definitely, like the like you were saying earlier, like they nailed that yes. vibe mm-hmm. from the ride in the movie. Oh, yeah. Totally. And because it's even for this, it's wonderful little things of like them throwing the the water on on oh, um, Gibbs. Is it Gibbs? Sleeping with the pigs. Oh, yes. And mm-hmm. and the the guy, the you have a man being raised out of the well and he's spitting water. And they're just all these beautiful little moments that are part of the ride. Uh, oh, the the prisoners in the jail cell with the dog 
is just yeah. such they're just these wonderful I, I hate to be contrived but magical moments from the ride and again they don't belabor them they happen almost in passing so we get that we are in the same world and we're skirting that world and so it's also as a costume designer and like um, uh, a theater director this world was so beautifully researched because they then mm-hmm. went and found it in time and that to me for all three of these movies for some of the you know, for the second and third one for their strengths and weaknesses it's just so beautifully researched it's put in a moment in time it is given the historical context that they need to succeed where like if they try to make this modern or put people back in time it would not have worked so having yeah. this be and giving us this this pirate um, um, and to follow who it seems kind of like adult, a moron. He's so he's got the, the weird Johnny Foppish <laughs> thing. Um, yeah. Uh, and just it's so, that they went so big with production. They got real ships. And um, this is something they could have easily done in sound studios and tried to build everything as a set. But I really just kind of love the scope. They gave us from the moment we kind of cross over into the bay and it opens up for us and you see mm-hmm. the port city that we're living in. There on the the moment that we see this kind of iconic Johnny riding in on the 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 mast in these moments that are now kind of seared into moviegoers' minds. They mm-hmm. went so big. Um and so this one's kind of daunting to talk about to me because there's just so many point <laughs> kind of points to hit. Um, but for everyone out there, we are just going to focus on the first movie. Um, we are eventually, you all know me, we'll talk about the future of the franchise now that Disney lives in a world of franchises. Um, but we're going to try to focus just on uh, Black Pearl uh, for me, uh, for a second. So Ash, what are some things that now that you're a filmmaker going back and watching this, what are some things that just stand out for you as a filmmaker, but also as kind of a, a someone who takes in so much media and film, what are some things that stand out for you? Yeah. You know, for me, it's the, the extreme attention to detail. Like you sort of, like you were mentioning, like not only did they do such a good job at like capturing the vibe of the ride and capturing like scenes of the ride that made it feel organic. It didn't feel forced. Mm -hmm. Um, they, they also who, you know, the screenwriters clearly did a lot of research or were already extremely passionate about pirates because the details on pirates and that actually continues throughout like the um the series what i really yeah. like is they continue to use real pirates that existed mm-hmm. and they use their names and they incorporate this pirate lore and so i i'm actually like a huge fan of pirates mm-hmm. <laughs> and so i really appreciated that too but also like the details down to the fact that some of the pirates the whites in their eyes are actually like yellowed mm-hmm. and i don't even know how they did that but it's it's just the extreme small details they went into. Um, and actually, you know, I think you would be surprised. I don't know if you've seen the behind the scenes for this film, mm-hmm. but they actually did shoot a lot of it on a soundstage. Yes. some Yeah. Especially like the, the cavern scenes um, and things. I think I was referring to like when uh, Elizabeth and Jack are trapped on the island or any of the kind of those oh, lar- right. large scapes mm-hmm. of things of... They could have done the Avengers thing and used a green screen set, but for some of those right. things, and maybe, you know, maybe because it was, t- it's so funny to think about this movie as being in 2003, because mm-hmm. it, it, nothing, fe- rewatching it in 2020, 
almost twenty. It's so weird to think that this is almost twenty years old. That is wow, what's yeah. fascinating to me. But nothing feels dated. Like the technology does not feel dated. Um, I will say the quality. Uh, but you know, I'm just a, right. I'm probably a pixel snob, but to the quality, like the first couple shots, I was like, yes. Oh, this was mm-hmm. 2003. Mm-hmm. You aren't shooting 6k, right. you know? Right. <laughs> um, but, uh, but the really, I remember when I was a kid and I got this DVD and I watched the behind the scenes, I was so blown away that they like built giant sound stages with huge pools of water and had full size sets ships in these pools of water that they shot like the fighting Mm -hmm. scenes on the ships with, which I was just like, that is insane. And so that sort of stuff, I just love eating up with a giant spoon. (laughs) And it's such a Disney thing. Like it's, I can't think Mm -hmm. of any, any other studio that would be willing to go to those measures. Cause it seems like something that only Walt himself would have done. Like it's, it seems like those, especially after we'd gone through the post Renaissance period of, so many strange things and just bad animated movies and we'd they lost their way and just you know the the company transitioned but it was one of those that just kind of leaned in um but mm-hmm. well and you can almost tell watching this versus watching chicken little that they were embracing <laughs> they were embracing the live action story making again over the animated like they had in the mm. 60s and 70s which honestly wasn't necessarily a bad thing yeah. Um, but yeah. yeah, there's just, it's in, in uh, also there's just, this movie has texture from top to mm-hmm. bottom. Everything is like the hair is texture. The clothing is texture. The everything feels like you can touch it and you know exactly what it'll feel like, which is yeah. just, again, it's all things that are really smart for world building because they did have to build this world because you do have to assume that about at least half of your viewers out there have never been to a Disney park, which is weird for people to think, but they probably do not know pirates, of the Caribbean inside, not like a lot of people will. Um, and, and totally, it, and it seems interesting. So I guess, um, developing this story of this made up pirate, which also makes a ton of sense only because then, they're not, they can wait to bring in the pirate lore later, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, we start in the second and then in the third movie we get and then the fourth and the fifth. Um, but it's, you know, it's just so many smart things along the way. So I guess let's launch into the plot and just kind of talk yeah. through it. I mean, I'm assuming you had to have been living under a rock to at least not see this Pirates of the Caribbean movie. So we're not going to rehash yeah. the plot. <laughs> um, but I want to go through and talk, like, what are some moments that you just think were superb in kind of developing this world and this story? Uh, I mean, I love that Jack, you never really know if Captain Jack Sparrow is on your side or not. Like he kind of flip flops and that's something they continue to do throughout the series, which I really like too, where he's, he's a good guy, but he is using everyone to his advantage. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And uh, I love the twist and turns that has in the plot throughout. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love just this, this like backstabbing with the pirates, like one minute 
they're totally like loyal and the next mm-hmm. minute they're like all right see ya you you got left behind <laughs> damn the <you> code <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so those are all great um i love the fact that you know uh elizabeth swan's character could have been i mean she is damsel in distress but i would argue that she's not you know she's not completely helpless like i like that she tries to defend herself she takes action she's very progressive for Mm -hmm. that time period Mm -hmm. you know um i think that's great and i think they did an amazing job of like weaving this this like love story into it that's you know not part of the ride at all. Oh, no. But works. But you also, this is one of those where it makes sense. And if you have, also, especially in 2003 going forward, you almost can't imagine anyone but Kira Knightley playing this kind of wilting period. Mm-hmm. Like, I will give her one thing. She's not the most interesting a- actress, but she can wear period costuming like no one else. Like, oh, she yeah. just, she, <laughs> she knows how to carry herself. She knows how to wear a garment. And... This is so, like she's Elizabeth to me, especially knowing how she grows in movies two and three, um, just because there's going to be a little comparison. Um, Will becomes the damsel in distress and she really oh, yeah. becomes the hero, which we see mm-hmm. setting up because she she's the first one. Well, that, that happens in this movie, too, yes. kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and we start seeing or she understands Jack's. Jack's game before I think anybody else does because she starts playing Jack, which I think is really smart because while, you know, a lot of people pair like Jack and Will together, really it's it's Elizabeth and and Jack really I don't it's not romantic chemistry, but as like two people in a story have so much great storytelling potential together. Um mm-hmm. also because Elizabeth they also do this thing where they play um you know, she they play a lot with a lot of those traditional Disney princess tropes of she wants the adventure. She feels stuck where she is. Um, and, I, you know, I do like to tell people that the, especially with as warm as it would have been, women passing out from corsets was an insanely common thing. Oh, yeah. Um, it broke ribs. That. It displaced organs like it's it's so good. And then that she uses it to her advantage uh, the second time. It's just it's so it's just so good. It's, you know, um, but, you know, there it's these characters kind of. I don't want to say transcend, but they go beyond your typical archetype, especially for an action movie, an adventure movie. Um, And they really work hard to flush out everyone because you even get to the point where Barbosa isn't a villain that you actually hate. You kind of understand him. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's also I chalk it up to Jeffrey Rush being an insanely brilliant actor. Like, oh, yeah, he's just so good. Also, just because like plot aside for the point, there is not a misstep in casting from start to bottom in this movie. Like, no, every person is. And I would say in this entire franchise, at least these first three, everyone is in the right role and does the right thing. And it is so good. It's it's just so delightful, Mm -hmm. even with Jonathan Price as her father. Um, as the governor, you know, in, in Norrington, who's a well-known British television actor. You know, it's just all of these things. And we, so when you have these amazing actors, you can give us some really, really great plot. And again, this is when we were starting to really get used to sitting through really long movies. 
Uh, when, it did feel long. Well, I will say that. Well, I yeah. mean, 143 <laughs> minutes is a long film. I mean, because you had, mm-hmm. we'd had the Lord of the Rings movie, so we were like, yes, three-hour movies. <laughs> and, you know, the Harry Potters had, by the third movie, was at two and a half hours. So for this one to be about two and a half and the other ones to be two and a half, and we're, we now live in that world where we want an Avengers film to be three hours long, if they're using... I don't. <laughs> well, if they're using... I, I am correctly. the director... The filmmaker that is like ninety minutes. Ninety minutes is perfect. I'm the, perfect. I'm guys. that. I, well, I think in a comedy, ninety minutes is the perfect amount of time. And That's I, true. I'm that theater practitioner that like, I'm not going to see your Shakespeare if it's not ninety minutes and heavily cut. Like, I want a good, I don't want an intermission because I don't want to wait in line for the bathroom. I don't need a second glass of wine. Mm -hmm. I just, 90 minutes, let's do it. (laughs) I don't need to sit through a three-hour production of Oklahoma. Let's go, friends. Um, Definitely. uh, But yeah, there's just, oh, there's just, there's so much good. And even the secondary characters are just so, so great. Oh, they're so great. Um, and well, I and love the pirate with like the wooden eye. Yes, those two are uh, so, good. so good. They're yeah. so good. And they do that traditional Laurel and Hardy, Abbott and Costello thing mm-hmm. to the most perfection. And again, it's their other ones. You don't want to see anything bad happen to them because you love them so much by the end of the movie, which is why it's great that by the third movie, we're all on each other's side. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's. It's also one of those that I think they do a really nice job of in this movie. They start to put the doubt into colonialism and the imperialism that the British Empire was uh, exhibiting at this point. And so they re- it's, a, it's a comment on why do you need to come in and get rid of the pirates? Also, because during this time, historically, a lot of pirates, which we see in Barbosa in the second film a lot of pirates actually work for the British government or the Spanish government. They, they Mm. are, they are formal employees of the state that use non-traditional methods to get, you know, (laughs) to, to bring back treasure They're You know, it's the difference of, you know, privateer is government approved, but a pirate is a, is a scallywag. Right. You know, it's, it's these Mm -hmm. moments. And again, they keep returning to these moments in history to put us in a place where we go. But then at the end, there's really like, you know, it's the, the, the bad pirates quote unquote, get theirs in the end. It's whatever, but like, they're all human again, if they're not dead. And, and you know, it's one of those things that you still smile. And even though they hadn't greenlit a second movie at this point, they left it where you're like, Oh, cool. So it would have been fine if it was one movie. I'm glad it wasn't. Yeah. But, like, it would have been fine if it was one movie. They left us on, cool, Jack's going to go on another adventure. Because it was one of those things. They didn't waste too much time giving us backstory. The backstory happened as the movie needed to give it to us. Um, mm-hmm. Which I, you know. Which is just good writing. It's such good writing because then there are the twists and turns. Because, again, I remember there were times where I, the first time when, when you know, we see Jack take the coin. We know he's mm-hmm. taken it. And then when he stumbles back, that's the thing. They also use the CG bodies in such a... And, you know, we look at them now and go, well, I'm sure we would do them a little bit better now or, or the effects. But, like, they saved that moment for the most impactful time for us to yeah. see them. Um, and then there are those moments of just... 
um, the just a hand reaching through the moonlight, or Barbosa slowly walking through and then being in shadow again. They they didn't go so horrific that it was going to scare everyone. While they are quite scary, um, they use it's another time that they use it so beautifully in a way that like it's just masterfully done in using it as a storytelling element versus something to just shock and scare. Mm-hmm. I will say the moment, um, I do love those moments you mentioned, but the moment that did feel a bit over the top for me was also the first moment that Kira Knightley's character sees them oh. and she like mm-hmm. stumbles back. And then like one of them's flying with the rope yeah. and grabs her or something. I was like, all right, this is a little much. Oh guys. yeah, And she gets launched up on the trampoline twice. Oh yeah. No, that's, that yeah. one is so heavy handed, but in a way that it almost still feels like good payoff for me because we waited so long to see that, that they're then mm-hmm. kind of sink into it. Um, it is kind of cheesy. It is kind of campy. And you know, that, Disney kind of way. I will agree. I will completely yeah. agree with you. It felt like a ride moment for oh, sure. <laughs> it, yeah, it definitely made me feel like if Pirates was Indiana Jones at Disneyland, that's it, it made mm. me feel like not, like I feel like we're being whipped around a corner, um, which, you know, I wouldn't mind an action ride version of Pirates. I think that could be kind of cool. I don't know. Mm. Um, but mm. also new attractions. Let's get some new stuff. Um, but yeah, it's so, you know, we've, we've talked about that. What are some other things, some moments that you just kind of really love, or as a filmmaker, you just really find that work from a storytelling standpoint? Yeah. I mean, the way, the way the visual storytelling is done is so good. You know, like, uh, for example, the pirates, when they first break into Elizabeth Swan's mansion and they're looking for her and they're looking around the room and we have this shot of their point of view of a rug that's been overturned in front of a closet and the camera pans up to the closet from the overturned rug. And it's like nobody said, oh, there she is, you know, mm-hmm. which would have been the bad writing version right. of that. But instead, they just showed it with visual storytelling. And there's so much of that going on throughout the whole film. Mm-hmm. It's really, really well directed, like it, it, fantastically well directed. And then there's also so much uh, physical comedy mm-hmm. going throughout the film. And uh, you can tell that that some of that physical comedy is very heavily inspired by Charlie Chaplin. Mm-hmm. And the, the moment in the film for me that it's not even a funny moment, they did it in a cool way, but the mast of the other ship is falling on the Black Pearl and Barbosa just walks forward and just lets it fall past mm-hmm. him. And that's totally a Charlie Chaplin move that he would do to be funny is like a whole building would fall yeah. or something and he'd stand right in the little window or mm-hmm. something. Um, but I love the physical humor and, and it's, like I said, it's just so well directed mm-hmm. the way that, that shots are even like when, when Johnny Depp is trying to convince the two, um, soldiers to let him check out this boat and they start arguing about whether or not one of them has seen the black pearl and we start in an over-the-shoulder of Johnny Depp on the two. And then as they get wrapped up in their argument, the camera slowly pushes in to out of the older over-the-shoulder mm-hmm. of Johnny, just the two characters. And then, you know, we see him slink away in the background. But, like, again, it's just, like, such good, subtle touches of directing mm-hmm. that that are so great in this film. 
it is a prime example of show uh, show not tell, which I am mm-hmm. a huge fan of. Also, because they do in that same moment you're talking about, they pan up and then we immediately flip. So we see Elizabeth, and then it flips to see him, and just the just the mm-hmm. uh, the hello puppet is just such a yeah. <laughs> and it's such a beautiful in in character moment. And I love I I also love that moment with Barbosa because he's actually a really chilling man because he's willing to do anything in order to actually gain his humanity again, which is something that's so interesting because in these stories, we always want to see people fighting for, for everlasting life, for being beyond mortal. And he's fighting mm-hmm. to be mortal again, um, which again, yeah, that's true. there's something so poetic, but he's so chilling and still so terrifying that I think if he had, they'd had him be campy and run out of the way, we wouldn't be afraid for him or uh, we wouldn't be afraid of him um, mm-hmm. because you root, you're rooting for them in a way of going, you're connecting with that as a person going, Oh God, what would I do if I couldn't taste and I couldn't, you know, none of hu- what we consider life worth living, we could partake in. What would that yeah. mean to suddenly have to fight for that again? Uh, and so, you know, they, they do those great moments where still, again, they're keeping the tension up while giving us that moment to giggle just a little bit um, as mm-hmm. we as we go through. And it's very, very smart. Something that I think is interesting, they they were filming this literally until like two months before it was released. Like, it, oh, wow. it wrapped in March. That poor editor. Oh, uh, I know. <laughs> they wrapped in March and on June 28th, it was released at Disneyland. Like... That is wow. that is for something of this size. That is yeah. so shocking to me. Um, just from a just from a production standpoint. Um, yeah, I've, totally. I've had to do it. I mean, it's possible that they were sending the editor dailies, I guess, oh, yes. and they were editing along. The, I mean, they had to have been. I can't yeah. imagine. You know. <laughs> right. Well, I know they they filmed all of the stuff in sets like in LA at the end. So they had, you know, they were able to work through everything because they started in October of 2002, which is, so that Uh. is a very long, um, but I expect this kind of film to take a long time to produce Mm -hmm. and, and make, um, prop culture on Disney plus has an amazing episode about this franchise about the props and the ships and costuming. And it's very, very cool about all those aspects that nobody really thinks about that play into this, um, and, and saving it. So that is very cool. And everyone should check out now. Is there anything that you, so we've, we've talked about a couple moments that looking back, you go, is there anything story wise or maybe some decisions that were made production wise that you just don't necessarily agree with? We don't like to say right and wrong on this show. We like to say effective or not effective. Is there anything that you just thought wasn't an effective moment that they were trying to accomplish? Yeah. uh, I I kept upon rewatching this, Again, I, I've definitely seen this movie several times, but for some reason on this specific rewatch, I was like, wait, they can't, they can't really eat food. So why do they have a bowl of apples sitting around? And why do they have, at one point, two of the pirates are cutting a fully iced decorated cake. And I'm like, why, why do you have this if you can't actually consume the food? Yeah. Or, like, taste it or anything. Like, uh, I just thought that was kind of 
that seemed like a plot hole to me because like there's continuously like a gigantic bowl of apples sitting in mm-hmm. Barbosa's captain's area. What is that called? I can't remember. I don't know. I am. I. Uh, I know there's a name for it. Yeah. But anyway. Uh, and and like. I'm just like, do you, do they constantly replenish these these apples? Like, are they buying food all the time that they can't eat? Like, well, unless they're uh, just pillaging to pillage, you know, it's one of those things. I guess. I mean, the only thought for me with the apple is we continually see Barbosa touching apples, and when he falls in the cavern, when Jack shoots mm-hmm. him, he drops an apple, or an apple drops out of his. His clothing, so I don't know if that was like. Oh, I wonder if it's tied to sort of original. If you think about it, yeah, yeah. original sin, mm-hmm. Adam and Eve, and is the, interesting. It, and the, Barbosa mentions like he eats dinner with mm-hmm. with Elizabeth, right? And like he mentions the crew eating dinner. So I don't know if they they still have to technically eat, but they just don't taste anything. Right? I don't know. Well, it's because he says it turns to ash in their mouth. Like it's, he it's, does say that. It's yeah. such a. It's well. Again, it's it, Jeffrey Rush is so poetic in what he does. I got to see him in Enter the King on Broadway with Susan Sarandon, and it was so interesting to see him live do a lot of what he does well, but also like um, do the funny thing. It was it was strange but cool. Uh, I worked at Rock of Ages at the time. They drank a lot but tipped really well, so we liked we liked <laughs> when they came over on Sunday nights. But um, yeah, it's it's one of those things. There are a couple of those moments where you can tell they have things there for balance of scene, for color, because also sometimes, especially on the Black Pearl, because it is black, they're all in dark, decayed clothing. There's not a lot of color variance in those shots. Um, yeah. And so I don't know if it's for a shock of color in the scene, if it's for something that's living, that's supposed to be living against all of the death. Um I'm not really sure, but yeah, I had that thought too, especially with the cake. <laughs> I saw the cake and I was like, "Yeah, do they just take things when they go? I mean, because that is the pirate thing. I guess you're supposed to pillage. So like, right. you're going to take the cake if a lady's iced a nice cake. Uh, also, who's that icing? That or like somebody baked a cake on this ship. Like, oh, I don't know. Okay. All right. I I'm, love the idea of one of the pirates, like the hardcore pirate like being all into baking and like icing this cake just to pass time he wants he wants to open a patisserie when this is all done like yeah. <laughs> when when they're human i also like to imagine all of them singing human again from beauty and the beast the musical like every once in a while <laughs> on the ship just just talking about how it'll be great to be human again uh but it's it's yeah, there there are a few inconsistencies like that that I just that I guess upon rewatching it so many times makes me go, huh. But um mm-hmm. you know, and it's that I there's still a few things like because I've got like fantasy kid brain, the idea that the moment it touches water, the coin calls out to them. Like there's still some oh, things that yeah. there are just a couple <laughs> things, but you couldn't there would have been no other inciting incident to get them there. Like that was just a, they would have had to be pillaging constantly to get there. So I guess it was, you know, it's a it's an inciting incident. It's one of those things to get someone there, which then, you know, it it makes some sense, I guess. But and I guess also story-wise, like, so at the end, there's that button with the monkey, mm-hmm. and the monkey takes the coin out. And I don't remember, I, I haven't seen the sequels in so long, but I, I do know that Barbosa comes back. So yes. I'm assuming the monkey taking the coin 
made Barbosa not die. Yeah. Because he then was cursed again. But what doesn't make sense to me is it's like, so then if anyone takes a coin, everyone who's ever taken a coin ever is automatically cursed again? No, I think it's just, I think if the monkey, the monkey took a coin and the idea is maybe that he put it on Barbosa and so then Barbosa is undead, they can pull, he could pull the the bullet out of himself and then put the coin back because then there's blood, there's blood that's been spilled on the coin because it's the whole, the blood component as well. Oh, that's, okay. That's another that thing makes, that we didn't... It's a bit of a stretch that the monkey could yeah, I, put all that together, but okay. Yeah, I mean, Jack is very smart. He's a smart little monkey. He's uh, <laughs> he's one of the standout performances of the film. Um, it is nice to see because, you know, we're using less and less animal actors and things in movies just because, you know, there's a question of how humane is it to, to train an animal to do this kind of thing and keep them on a set. Um, I just recorded uh, Swiss Family Robinson earlier, and they do some wild things with animals that oh, were okay man. in 1959, but now we cannot get away with it. And the monkeys are one of those things because there are monkeys throughout. Um, but it's also, it's you know, it's a pirate movie. You kind of you want a monkey. He's great, especially because for a lot of it, when he's not doing silly things, it's CGI skeleton monkeys. So, right, um, yeah. You know, it's it's one of those things, but it's, uh, yeah, uh, other than some small things, this is another one where I was, like, having to rack my brain about moments that I go, huh, what's actually wrong with this movie? Mm-hmm. And I don't, you know, it's it's one that it's not wrong to just sit and enjoy a movie. Yeah, I, I mean, think, it's yeah. pretty solid, I think, for the most part, um, story-wise. You know, there's there's the whole damsel in distress thing yep. but that is period accurate for this yes. particular piece yes. so yeah and in <sighs> also 2003 the genre like we were just starting to kind of demand those changes in film um mm-hmm. you know they'd been asked for for a long time but it was the first time people were standing up and and saying no because this was like two years after charlie's angels had happened and the 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 new remake and um, a lot of women of Hollywood were standing up and starting to ask for better roles and, and mm-hmm. roles that weren't, you know, contrived. Because even looking at things like X-Men, I know you guys just did, just covered X-Men on Let's Rewatch. It'll be super dated by the time this releases. But, you know, it's it's that thing <laughs> of, even in that movie that came out four years before this did, Rogue and Storm both had almost no agency as women, which yeah. they always had in the comics. And so this... Um, you know, I guess to see Elizabeth. Now, granted, Elizabeth is one of two characters in this film. Um, my big issue that are women. <laughs> that are women. I wanted Zoe Saldana's character to do way more than she got to do. Like, yeah. she's the character that I was like, she's the most underutilized character in the whole movie. Um, and yet she steals the scene, like, every time she's in it. Every time she's in it. And she, you know, and she commands those men. And, I, you know, maybe it's their way of being like, oh, look at this woman commanding, you know, which would lead up to we got Tia Dalma and then we got um, 
Elizabeth, you know, Elizabeth is the pirate king, and we had the woman who was, we had lots of heads of the other pirate clans that were women by the third mm-hmm. movie, which, you know, was very cool and also kind of very out of the ordinary for the time. So I guess when we're. Well, there were, there were um, yeah. some famous women pirates, which oh, yeah. is pretty cool. Oh, yeah. Um, I think they were like sisters, mm-hmm. Some mm-hmm. Uh, a pair of them. They were mm-hmm. pretty awesome. Well, and you had. And they would like run around without a shirt on or something. To distract them. I love that. <laughs> That's, well, I think her name was Grace O'Malley, I think is that her name is, she was from Scotland. There's a musical about her called The Pirate Queen. Um, oh. uh, that's actually quite good. It's like, I believe there she's Scottish based, English based something, but yeah, she was a huge show, but that was good. Well, and it was obvious that they did research into who was pirateering at the time, who had groups of pirates on the seas, what did they look mm-hmm. like? Who were they? Um, and where were they coming from? Which, you know, it's, we see that more in the other two movies, but it was obvious that, like, their research department did their job from top to toe. Um, yeah. Because it's even firearms and props and um, architecture. They're just so much. There's so much right about these movies that, again, a lot of those little things that I go, I could have been better. I still go, I still really like this movie. Um, yeah. But I think Anna Maria, I think, is is Zoe Saldana's character. And that is the one thing to mm-hmm. me that I, to this day, uh, still go... I wanted more of her and I wanted I wanted her to really get her comeuppance on Jack. But, uh, you know, because to have her there and she's mad because there's the 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 spurned romance of Jack of being all the women is funny Mm -hmm. to a point. And it's something they play with for the next two movies. It's something in all of them. Um, But it was a disappointment that she never returned for any of the other movies. That to me was a huge disappointment. Because she seemed like by the end of the movie that she was going to be like his right hand woman, yeah, or man, yeah, whichever yeah. term you want to take there. Well, and because even I believe it's the second movie when they are, the pearl is in a glass bottle, I believe, because that's when we get mm. Davy Jones um, for the second and third movies. I believe he's in both of them. Yeah, I think so. Oh, God. yeah. I got, yeah, now I got to watch the other two. Um, I know. <laughs> you know, it's one actually. Of the, I don't think he's in the second one. I think he's in the. He's third in the third one. one. Um, yeah. Oh, right. They allude to him in the second one because mm-hmm. they say that you need to go to Davy Jones' locker to get back the pearl. And yeah. that's what happened. Yes. Okay. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Yes, that is correct. Um, and so you know, it's one of those things that like we then didn't have her, but we have Tia Dalma. But then I'm like. We can have more than one badass woman of color in a movie. Like, mm-hmm. let's let's throw them yeah. down. Um, which is, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's the the franchise has gotten less popular as they've gone. Um, I, I think I've seen all but the last one that came out. Um, but it's oh you know, it's, yeah, that one was bad. <laughs> yeah, it's you know that's it. You know, it also didn't help that like Johnny had a catastrophic injury where he like shattered his hand and arm. So they had to take like a year off of filming until his body rebuilt. Like it was a whole thing. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, they almost, they almost canceled the movie and all these things that happened. And so, you know, at one point you hit just, you know, I've worked on many a production where I just go, is this worth opening? Like how (laughs) much, you know, after a while, like what, what is it worth? But, um, I definitely, I don't don't know if you agree. I definitely think this was a smart choice to make and a smart choice to create a franchise out of. And it's, I think it proved that if they do the right thing, that Disney attractions 
really can make really great movies. Mm-hmm. And, it, and you know, you, you mentioned actually earlier, you brought up the, um, the Tower of Terror movie. Mm-hmm. The, it was like a made-for-TV movie. I actually really like that movie. Uh, I remember enjoying it a lot. A lot of people do. It had it had what they called a moderate success critically, which is why they quickly bankrolled um, Haunted Mansion because of Tower of oh. Terror. Um, and so, like, that's the other one. Because their scope was smaller, it worked mm-hmm. for them. Um, yeah. And, uh, but, you know, it's otherwise, I don't, what do you? There's some things that just shouldn't be. Oh my God, that was Kristen Dunst and Tower yes. of Terror. Yeah, and Holy Steve Gutenberg. Steve Gutenberg and Kirsten Dunst. Yeah. Wow. That was like post Little Women, pre Bring It On. Yeah. Oh, pre. It was right around the same time as Drop Dead Gorgeous. Oh wow, that's crazy. And this is. It it goes black and white, right? Like part of the film yes. is in black and yes, white. Yes, it does. Okay, cool. Yeah. I am remembering the right yeah. one then. Yeah, I do remember really liking that one. Yeah, I feel like there's some... The thing is, is there's some... Uh, which... There's some attractions that have, like, already the potential of a built-in narrative. Mm-hmm. Which I would kind of argue that Pirates of the Caribbean ride doesn't have a, a built-in does narrative. Yeah, it does yeah. not. <laughs> So it's surprising that they did such a good job, but it's like Haunted Mansion. It just feels like one of those. I haven't seen the movie. (gasps) Don't waste your time. Please don't waste your time. Yeah, I I saw the trailer and I was like, no, thanks. Uh, But it just feels like, you know, unless unless they would have taken that like completely seriously, which they they can't because it's Disney. So they can't make it scary. But like if they had made that like scary and like a little intense like that could have been pretty good but then there's like other rides where it's like you know there's no i don't know that we need a movie for every ride right. you know i agree like, i do agree there um but you know it's one of those things where they tend to not always when they turn movies into rides they're not always good rides or, you know, they mm-hmm. just do it to capitalize or the fact that we're getting a Beauty and the Beast attraction at, at uh, Tokyo Disneyland now, like mm. 30, almost 30 years after the movies initially released or, you know, it was 20 years after Little Mermaid when we got the Little Mermaid ride or 15. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, it's one of those things. But like, that's a very rushed moment. So I agree with you. Um, that, but you know, what's funny about Haunted Mansion, it's funny and hokey, but at one point a crypt is cleaved apart by hellfire and demons and flaming skeletons erupt out of the ground to devour, to devour Eddie Murphy and his family. So like they leaned into a couple scary moments there. So it's one of Mm -hmm. those that, and you know, when we did that episode, we talked a lot about pirates only because, you have to kind of look at their large, their biggest failure and their biggest success when adapting something like an attraction. Um, because you're right with pirates, there was until they readapted pirates with the movie um, elements, there wasn't really a narrative. You followed through this little moment of time of this pillage of this town, but almost that almost to me, the lack of a ride narrative there meant that they could create a narrative that existed in a world where that was happening. Where Haunted yeah. Mansion, it needs to exist in the house. Pirates of the Caribbean can exist in a moment of time where something else is happening. Um, yeah. 
in a way that other things couldn't. Now, right after the, um, and it was, I think it was because of the movie success happened of pirates that Marvel didn't do this. Marvel after the movie, the Disney acquisition made a bunch of comic series based on Haunted Mansion, um, Figment and the dream, uh, dream finder, um, big thunder mountain. Um, that one, I just don't know how you get any narrative in there. Oh, oh, big thunder. Yeah. Well, it's, they they did this thing where it was a kind of a, a heightened magical realism, Western holdup movie, like a train holdup. Um, and again, what they also did was like four issues. They like did a story and then left it. Um, where Figment and Dreamfinder, they did two arcs because they made him a sexy young Dreamfinder. So he's like oh. a kind of a daddy with like a ginger mustache. And, and so that kind of worked. But it's one of those things where um, sometimes I do think some things can adapt, but you have to have the right team. And you yeah. said it best at the beginning. They had people that knew Pirates, where Haunted Mansion had no one who worked on Haunted Mansion. They had the uh, imagine. They had Imagineers who had worked on Pirates throughout the years. They had, um, you know, a lot of those things, and so it was. It, it, they were deeply connected in Disney and how they were doing this. Um, what is interesting is this was the first di- film released under Walt Disney Pictures of uh, the banner, specifically Walt Disney Pictures, that got a PG thirteen rating. This was the first one. See, that's the other difference I was Mm going to say is like Pirates of the Caribbean is not trying to be a kid-friendly movie. No, At all. And like it doesn't quite push like, you know, the – like it could have been a hard R. Mm -hmm. You know, those pirates and Miss Swan could have been bad. But but like – Obviously, like just from the trailer, you can tell that the Haunted Mansion movie is very much trying to be a kid's movie. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a mistake because you have a paranormal movie. You should lean into that genre of film for sure. Also, they made Haunted Mansion a a movie that took place in 2003 and they should have made it a movie that Mm. took place in Victorian England when the the initial moment happened. It should have been a period film. Um, And also what did not help Haunted Mansion was it was originally supposed to get a 2002 release. It then got bummed to a 2003, so it was released four months after Pirates of the Caribbean and the Curse of the Black Pearl. So Pirates set this huge Bar. bar and then Eddie Murphy came rolling in on his Toyota Corolla Way under that bar. <laughs> it's a whole yeah. plot, plot point in the movie. There's definitely, you know, gendering happening in Pirates of the Caribbean, to bring it back to that. Uh, but it's a bit appropriate for the time period. Yes. So. That is a thing you also need to understand is when you're working within a time period, and they tried to be as authentic as they could, um, that you have to understand the parameters of socio-politically what was happening and you do and you can have characters rebel from that i mean i think little women is a great example of that of just and not even the newest movie but just that those women were working beyond the uh the norms of their time you have to understand what those norms of your time are um which you know also helps it was funny while, while you were talking i read originally there was no supernatural aspect to this film it the curse mm. was not there so I oh. and and it apparently did not work. Um, uh, this was the original script, and then they brought in another uh, scriptwriter, and Jerry Brockheimer came on, and that's when he brought um, 
the actual screenwriters of Ted Elliott and Terry Rossio uh, um, onto the um, project because then they were able to start actually developing what was going to work. Because um, mm. apparently it actually heavily deviated away from anything that existed in the theme park ride. So it's so interesting that, like, talking about having the right wow. people right people there and it's funny as we talk my sibling is literally right through the wall playing D&D on the other side of the wall from us right oh, now <laughs> with, with her um, but yeah so it's it's so interesting that you some things like these aren't those lightning in a bottle moments they they are a combination of the right people who knows how to work within a genre and knows what they're doing to come together and kind of build this perfect moment um, and it's something that I can't believe I didn't bring up but the score for this oh, movie yes. is it is so good, so good. and I remember because <laughs> I was a marching band human at this point and so and and I did DCI and Indoor Color Guard um, everybody was doing Pirates of the Caribbean shows to the point where yep. Disney Disney outlawed anyone being able to use the music without paying an exorbitant amount of money to Disney which oh. made sense because everyone was doing it oh yeah there was one Winter Guard season where like we knew the two schools that did it had money because they had to pay like $3,000 to use the music like a wow. cut of the music Music. Um, I was also in band, and my band also played this. And uh, I can nerd you out even more. Uh, somehow, um, I was in drumline. Somehow, a friend of mine who was also in drumline pitched to the band teacher that, hey, while you play this song, can we do a choreographed fight, like sword fight to it? And he said, yes. And so you we got to, to you have leave to. class multiple times to practice a choreographed sword fight that we then performed, of course, in pirate costumes yes. with swords. Oh, I it love was great. That. I, I love that so much. And that's just <laughs> music education in schools is so important. It's all getting cut right now. It's breaking my heart because we are in quarantine and they're cutting money and they're like, cool, just oh. get rid of band. And I was like, don't get rid of band. You don't need football. Get rid of football. Like have sports, yeah. but you don't need you don't need team sports. Like that's another thing. You need you need STEAM programs. You need math, sciences, and arts. Like focus on those. But mm-hmm. w- what do I know? I'm only a master of fine arts, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like the score, the score just makes this movie. And it's another one of those that like I can hear the score and I remember exactly what is happening in those moments. It is just mm. so it's it is it is up there with all of the John Williams scores as well. Like this is just to me, uh, one of the most iconic movie scores of all time. Was it John Williams? No, it is okay. Klaus Badelet, Badelot. Oh, no, it's Hans Zimmer. It is Hans Zimmer wrote the score. Uh, he is very good. Cla- but Klaus um, ba- Badelet, Badelet, um, it is the composer, and he collaborated with Hans Zimmer to fully orchestrate and write um, for uh, Curse of the Black Pearl. Um, but yeah, Hans, Hans Zimmer, Zimmer has like a whole team now, right? Too, yes. Where, mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, but he'd also been writing for Disney forever, and Hans Zimmer has done every one of the Pirates movies. Um, oh, wow. And then the other guy only did the first one with him. Um, but mm-hmm. I mean, he did Interstellar, Gladiator, Inception, Dunkirk, the Dark Knight trilogy. He did Lion King. 
Uh, you know, he's got a couple things under his belt. He's he's pr- pretty accomplished, but it also helps add to that epic adventure. Like it's it's music you want to hear playing when you're walking through Disneyland. It's what you want to hear swelling inside of a ride because it makes those kind of clunky 1960s audio animatronics fun and impressive. They're actually really mm-hmm. interesting. Um, well, and they so did bef- such a good job at like like incorporating the songs, you know, like the, the yep. pirate songs, you oh, know, but yes. in a serious way, you know, the movie ending with drink up me hearty Joe how blackout is so good. I, it is, it is so interesting. Well, and then I believe it's the next movie is the one that opens up with the hangman, everybody being hung and it's the little boy and they uh-huh. all whistle. Yeah. And they, yeah. All, they do the, they do the diminished version of, uh, yo ho, yo ho. Yes, and it's one of those yeah. where I was like, that is the best use of an existing thing that you already have that you don't have to pay for. Like yeah. use it. Um, well, and you can see like Jordan Peele does that all the time with his, his mm-hmm. films now in the trailer where he'll take an upbeat, happy song and then mm-hmm. twist it and yep. make it creepy. And I feel like pirates, you know, they, they kind of started oh, that yeah. trend a little bit. Oh yes. I feel like they wouldn't have had Lana Del Rey do, um, a once upon a dream for Maleficent in that really creepy soft oh, ballad yeah, version. Yeah. Um, if they hadn't have done things like pirates, like, and it just, it's another thing of, it was a smart decision and I'm sure it went through hours and hours and hours of senseless board meetings with too many people that had no business making <laughs> a decision. Um, but it really, it, it just works so beautifully. Uh, for me. <laughs> now, Ash, I do have a question for you before we get to kind of our last big question, which is a little different than what our listeners are normally used to, because this is a franchise that is still kind of living. So we're going to put a little pin in that. Um, I okay. know I know you were like, not every not every attraction needs a, a movie. And I agree with you there. You know, there are just some we don't we don't. Autopia does not need a movie. It's true. Yeah. You know, um, <laughs> the, the teacups inspired by Alice doesn't need a movie. If there was a Disneyland or Disney World attraction that you would want to see turned into a movie, what would it be? Hmm, interesting. Because um, well, I've never been to Disney World. Sadly, <gasps> you have to come visit. We, you know what? We have a giant convention out here, and I keep uh, I keep telling Case I was like, we need to have a certain point of view booth. We need to do live episodes. All of us need to come just so we can that also also just so we can all go like. It's eat too Paying much. Well, yeah, so we can all go have a couple cocktails and eat too many snacks at Epcot together. Like, I just feel yes. like that would be the perfect outing Pat for Pat is always pitching. <laughs> like, you can drink around the world. And I'm like, I'm sold. I was actually this close to going uh, because uh, my short film, Zombie Debt, that was doing the film festival circuit, uh-huh. uh, was in a one of the last film festivals in its uh, circuit run was the Florida Comedy Film Festival. And so I was, like, going to wrap it into a Disney World ride because my boyfriend, who I've been dating for 10 years, keeps telling me, next vacation, next vacation, next vacation, we'll go to Disney World. Hasn't happened yet. And I was like, you owe me. Yeah. Oh, he definitely owes you. You have to come. What I would say is wait until next year, definitely. Also, just because, well, next year's the 50th anniversary of the Magic Kingdom, so hopefully this is not dampened. They haven't announced any special events, but I'm assuming it will be huge, because it's 
the 50th and then the next year is the 40th of Epcot. And so it's two years of huge events. So I'd give it another wow. year because COVID's kind of fucked some shit up. Miss, Miss Rona. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, now I'm like glad I didn't go because yes. I would have been going like mid-February when it would have been like, ooh, should I be on an airplane? Right, you know, right, right. Right absolutely. when people were starting to question mm-hmm. the safety. Yes. Um, so I, yeah, so I haven't been there, so I can't speak to any of those rides, but I do feel like, uh, gosh, I would say like Space Mountain could be interesting. Could be cool. If done right. Uh, Matterhorn. The thing is, is if you did Matterhorn and you did a full on horror film, like (gasps) campy horror film with like some teens that went to the... To the mountains, you know, for a fun weekend trip, and then we're murdered by Yetis. I'd be so on board with that. I'd be so on sure. board with that. I would too. <laughs> but the Yetis are actually just a secret cult. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah, would be... you have the Emelong. What is it? M Night Shyamalan. M Night Shyamalan. Twist. Yes, yes. Oh, it's name. totally the That's village. It's totally it's the village, but it happens on the Matterhorn. Well, I didn't yeah. realize that actually there's um, a movie called The Man on the Mountain, and it's technically what the Matterhorn ride is based on. Like they oh. shot this. It was before they did. Um, Swiss Family Robinson because it's a lot of the same cast. But yeah, it was about a, a Swiss hiker. Our, um, mountain climber and like he was Walt was like let's do a ride of this giant mountain and everybody was like oh okay <laughs> let's do it okay sure um, I also I will continue to yell until the end of time so right after we did Haunted Mansion we had a huge um kind of um a response on our social media. So I asked all of our listeners who, what they wanted to see. So our first bonus episode was the top five attractions that everybody wanted to see. And one of mine is that I keep screaming that I want them to do for Disney plus is a tiki room. Um, oh, series. yeah, but it's, um, but it's, it's an abandoned amusement park from that huge 1980s amusement park push um, that was abandoned because they awakened a hell God. Like they have, uh, they awaken the god of chaos, and so the park is like half built, and the four scientists get locked in with this hell god, and they're the four parrots, and so oh, you wow. you got a YouTube channel like Bright Sun that like sneaks onto this island, they like charter a ship and they sneak onto this island to do like oh oh it's an abandoned amusement park in a in a tropical island, and then they end up unlocking the hell god again or the god of chaos. Oh, that's great. So I would I would love something like that. Um, I am. I have. It's not like you've plotted it out. Or not at all, Disney. You should call me. Oh, and I'm excited about Jungle Cruise, the movie coming out. I. You know what? Actually, I'm excited about that one too because number one, The Rock, mm-hmm. always amazing. Uh, number two, Emily Blunt, Blunt uh-huh. also amazing. And then, uh, like the trailer makes it look like they took it seriously like they Mm -hmm. did with Pirates of the Caribbean that I was like, okay, this one might be good. Well, and it's a lot of the same team from Pirates. Well, and have you seen, did you see the second trailer that came out last month, month before that? Because it's it's supposed to release in July. They have not moved it back yet. So I think Disney's hoping movie theaters will reopen in July and they can be that kind of first movie back. I don't know. It makes me nervous. The movie theater is like the last place I really want to go right now. But I also miss shitty movie theater popcorn and bumpy chairs (laughs) that I'm too, that like my keys bump and make me go up and down. Oh man. But in that, I'm such a horrible filmmaker though, that like I, as a filmmaker, 
I appreciate the thrill of seeing this film that you, mm-hmm. you know, made on screen with an audience and hearing them react to it. As a consumer, fuck that. My couch is so much better. <laughs> but <laughs> I agree sorry. with you. There are some things, though, that like that I want to see it in its full scale. A Star Wars movie I want to see in full scale. I will say that in the Heights musical movie that's coming out, I want to see on the biggest screen I can. Um, mm. It's going to be so good. But yeah, so but it looks like. The Rock's a skipper who does a, of, uh, a Victorian version of the Jungle Cruise because he even does, oh, and look, the back of water. And like, <laughs> so they do these things where you they show him throwing mechanisms and stuff. And then, like, Emily Blunt's character comes in and is like, we need you to take us down this river. And so it looks oh, like it's starting okay. off as, like, jokey, but then they actually fall into, like, this supernatural thing. And it looks like it's going to be another franchise for them of them, oh. like, traversing the world looking for buried that's fun because that is a great time period that's one of my favorite time periods to Mm -hmm. play in and uh and like the thing the thing is is i so i was on the jungle cruise once and i timed it perfectly with the firework display and so in my head the jungle cruise is just apocalypse now I love that. It's just the Apocalypse <laughs> so Now the good. ride. If you can time it with the fireworks, it feels like you're on Apocalypse Now the ride. It's great. Oh, that is that is brilliant. Those are those little things that I love that we can get here on Noah Pin Dreams. <laughs> so the last thing I want to talk about is, so there's been, we're not going to hash it out. This is not the place for it, but there's been some things that have come up about Johnny Depp, true or not, where he has been removed from the Pirates franchise, but they have mm. one more Pirates movie to make that they are contractually obligated to make. And so, I thought it came out that, that uh, his... I don't know her name, Amber but Heard. that she was actually abusing him. Yeah, I think, well, in it, there was, so there was still footage of like him abusing her and her abusing him. Uh, I think it's a toxic relationship between both of them that they, right. that she like, but she gaslit him. But what's happening is there looks like they're moving forward with another pirates movie that exists in this world. That's about red. So in, for anyone that yeah. doesn't know the, the, there's always been um, kind of this woman in red on the ride and she's essentially a prostitute character. They don't say that, but um, what they've done recently is it was decided is that the that one it is, being chased or a different um, one? No, she's the one in the auction scene. She's the the like buxom brunette or a redhead woman with the big hat and like the corset, and her boobs are just up to her neck. Um, and uh, and they're like, "Show us your feathers, dear." It's the uh, the it's right there in the, um, oh, the auction right. scene where you come around right, the corner. Right, right. Well, mm-hmm. what they've done is it was decided last year that it is beyond time that we show women being sold to pirates. And, you know, it's that we updated a little. So she's been turned into red, the pirate. She is now a female pirate captain and they oh. did new animatronics and they recorded to, they were like, um, cause it's the, the heavy woman with the chickens and she's behind her cause it's in the same position and they go, show us your feathers, dearie. And she goes, uh, <laughs> she's like, um, something, the feather, she was like, uh, be darn the feathers, it's the rum they want. Drink up, my boys. And she, like, raises the <laughs> rum glass to them. And so it's rumored that they're going to make the last Pirates movie about her and make oh. it about this, like, female pirate who traversed the seas around the same time as cool. Jack Sparrow. Um, and the rumor is that Karen Gillan may play her. So, Oh, um, that would be good. And I would love to see Anna Maria come back because the two of them are so good uh, opposite each other. Because, like, 
Yes. Guardians, you know, Chris Pratt is whatever in Guardians of the Galaxy, but like <laughs> the relationship between Gamora and Nebula is so good because those actresses are so, they're just so good at their jobs and they're wonderful actors. And yeah. they just do. I still the, can't I would love, believe that it's Karen Gillian. Like she just morphs into a different creature when she yeah. plays uh, Nebula. She's, like, I knew she was good when she was Amy Pond on Doctor Who, and we really saw her get to flex <laughs> as a young actress, because that was, like, her first major thing, to then literally be cast in Star Wars, or um, Marvel. Like, it's it's yeah. a huge thing, um, and that they're not get, getting rid of her anytime soon in the Marvel universe. No, so, yeah. um, I, I don't know how you feel about that, but I actually think it's a really good idea, because the last Pirates movie was not good, and the one before it wasn't stellar, but it was watchable. But I think something that could be really great is if they're going to continue with this production value, why not mm. give us movies that exist in this universe that we don't need Jack to tell? We don't need, yeah. we don't need Will and Elizabeth to tell. But, it, you know... Well, and that's you, what Star Wars is doing so great. Like, yes. I love that they're, like... Like, um, I'm not personally a huge fan of rogue one but yeah i was like a star wars movie without a lightsaber mm-hmm. and i love it mm-hmm. i think it's awesome like i love expanding upon that universe well and like the mandalorian was so yeah, good. it's so, so good. good well and it also shows that like there have been a lot of um critiques about the last three movies um and then we're not here to discuss those you know i like <laughs> i like a lot about them i dislike a lot about them but they're you know it's star wars the original three weren't that good it's fine like come on y'all <laughs> um but it showed that like that episodic storytelling of a television series enriching this world where you can go to different planets it's the same thing that i love about avatar the last airbender which i'm watching for the first time right now um oh so i haven't um, seen that Oh, it just went on Netflix. You should definitely check it out. It's very, very good. Um, But, you know, it's one of those things that I think if they, if Disney is willing to lean in and explore non-traditional storytelling for some of these franchises, they don't need to die. Maybe they just need to change. Like, putting a ton of money into a pirate series could actually, like, one season of a pirate series could be really cool. I'd be so into that. And, And the thing is, is, like, we're at such a golden age in television Mm -hmm. Where, you know, before television used to be very like, you know, procedural type of stuff where bottle episodes where things didn't really Mm -hmm. change throughout the whole season. It's just a little story for every episode. And now storytellers are arguably some of the best writing you're seeing in the industry is on television nowadays with stuff mm-hmm. like Westworld or Game of Thrones mm-hmm. that are just like spanning seasons and you get more time with these characters in the story and you can slowly develop a character instead of like, that's one of my main problems with Rogue One is she just like flips on a dime and she's like, yeah, I'll join the rebellion. And I'm like, and why? Because of one scene ago you were, you were anti. Okay. <laughs> but like what I love about TV writing now is we can spend ages developing mm-hmm. these characters and like, you know, like Sansa Stark in Game of Thrones. Like mm-hmm. she is not a strong female Mm-mm. lead at first Mm-mm. and seeing her change slowly is so satisfying. So yeah. I think that would be awesome. Well, and if you look at spending $140 million on this kind of movie, if you did, because that's also, Americans are finally leaning into the British style of storytelling where 
one season of television may only be eight episodes. It might be 12 episodes, but you don't need 24 episodes because that's how you end up with flashback episodes and filler episodes and recap Mm -hmm. episodes. And you end up with, you know, 24 Naruto episodes that are about nothing. You know, it's just those, (laughs) those kinds of things that I think if we are, especially because like HBO has done this, um, to take or leave whatever you say about the last season of Game of Thrones. I'm not a Game of Thrones human myself. Um, (laughs) But, you know, they spent movie money on that show. I mean, the fact that Daenerys' wigs were $7,000 a wig, and there were so many of them. Oh, my God. Oh, and they were, like, hand-tied for Amelia (gasps) Clark. Because that's that's movie money, y'all. You don't just go to Party City and buy a wig. Um, But, like, I would love to see them continue this kind of universe or give it to different directors, like see what different directors, like I know um, Disney is moving forward with another Haunted Mansion movie with Guillermo del Toro for him to (gasps) come. That would be amazing. Well, I didn't realize he's like the largest Haunted Mansion fan in the world. He has a Hapox ghost. He's got a hidden room. His house is like the Haunted Mansion. Yes, (laughs) yes. Um, And so like to me, or like seeing what M. Night Shyamalan would do with uh, a Pirates of the Caribbean, what J.J. Abrams would do with an episode. Those are just examples. Don't shoot at me folks yeah. out there but like or, you know seeing, the female pirate like right give a female director a shot at Hell that yeah. and, mm-hmm. have patty see if you could get patty jenkins over now that they've done wonder woman too you know so, or you know <laughs> give an unknown female director or queer director give them you don't you don't have to go with these the old boys club like give mm-hmm. someone and that's something you could do with an episode series you could you know, Bryce Dallas Howard did the one episode of the the Mandalorian, yeah, and it was tonally so different than the rest of the series. But it set up Mando and the Child and all of this. It's one of my favorite such, episodes. Mine too. too. Mine mm-hmm. too. It's it's so nice. And so you know, I think we're viewing what long form episodic is because if you think about it, if you're already doing a two and a half hour movie, and you've probably shot a four hour movie, think about what you don't have to cut now. Yeah. Think about what you can, the story you can tell. So you've got a lot going on in your own life. So where can people find you on the internets? Um, So you can check out, gosh, I have so many things. Um, (laughs) You can check out my main YouTube channel is Last Ash TV. So if you go there, you can see my films and my sketch comedy and all sorts of other silly things I do. Um, I also do a podcast, as you mentioned earlier, we're on the same network, which is awesome. It's called Let's Rewatch. So if you like this podcast, you'd probably like ours too. We basically rewatch movies we loved in our youth and see if they still hold up. And we're going to have you on here really soon. Yes, 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 Mm yes, yes, yes. I forget which movie we landed on. We have not. We have not landed on anything. We yet. haven't landed. Yeah, that's okay, why I asked. We like Pat was like, "Let's pick a date, and then we'll pick the movie." And I was like, "Okay, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, um, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Keep and going. then you can also <laughs> check me out on uh, Twitter. I'm at Ashes Stash. Great. Amazing, Ash. Thank you so much. It has been such a pleasure having you on the show. Video games are a unique medium. They can tell stories. Immerse us in strange, fantastic worlds. Blur the very boundaries of our reality. But at the end of the day, video games are fun. Whatever fun is to you. I'm Jeff Moonen. And I am Matt, a.k.a. Stormageddon. And on Fun and Games, we talk about the history, trends, and community of video games. It's a celebration of all the games we play and all the fun we find within them. And there's so many more games out there. 
So we hope you'll share in that conversation with us. Fun and Games podcast with Matt and Jeff. Find us on certainpov.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And happy gaming. By the time this is out, you can catch my Let's Rewatch episode where we covered The Birdcage. You can find it on certainpov.com or on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you for all of those who went to our Teespring and participated in Pride Summer. Now, our store will be closing until March 2021 on November 1st. So go get your favorite threads now before they are gone for good. Now, don't forget to check out our Patreon, where for only $2 or more a month, you can help support our show. I'm releasing a special series about Disney parks and the global pandemic right now, just for our patrons. So you also get to hear some news about the future of Dolphin Dreams a little bit early. As always, don't forget to subscribe and leave a five-star rating and a thoughtful review. We have a huge announcement coming about Season 2 and the future of Dolphin Dreams on our anniversary episode coming October 30th. So make sure you are following us on all social media to stay up to date. Join us next time as we hit the open road with our guest from another past podcast, Case Aiken, as we take a deep dive and see eye to eye in the goofy movie. Now may your days be filled with Dole Whip and dreams. CPOV. CertainPOV.com.